Galatians chapter 5, please. Galatians 5, verse 22, verse 23. Typically called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Today I want to uh, focus on the third item of verse 22, the word peace. It says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, Wow, what a statement that is. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Isn't that what we're called to do in this passage? That's the main point, folks. Verse number uh, 16 says it. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's our command. That's our mandate, if you will. That's the strongest word I could pull out. This is not optional for you, for me, as a believer in Jesus Christ. We're called to walk by the Spirit. The fruit is a manifestation that that is happening. This is what he produces in us. So we've got some work to do today to understand peace. And to do that, of course, we could talk to the author of this book. Let's talk to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you even now as your word is opened up in front of us. A very familiar word, and yet perhaps a word that we have not fully grasped. There's much for us to learn. And as your children, we just sit at your feet and and say, Teach us, Father. Teach us what we need to know. And challenge us with it. Your word is so crystal clear as to the call you have for every single one of us here today. We are called to walk by the Spirit. And press that upon us and make it so, so crystal clear to us that we understand this is what we do. Because our Father told us to. Help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thinking of uh, peace. <laughs> you know, you could go and Google such a thing on, on the internet and uh, all the philosophical phrases pop up there. All the great thinkers uh, of our history, the the movement makers are all there. Uh, you've got Gandhi's and you've got Martin Luther's, uh, King Juniors and such. Uh, the the quotes and I went through some of them and and some of them are easy to follow. Some are very difficult to understand. Uh, uh, we've made peace a very complicated thing, I think. Uh, Mostly, though, as I scan through these quotes, and I don't have a bunch in front of me today just to read them off to you. I've got something better I wanted to share with you from God's Word. But uh, I found most of them reflected dream, using that word you've heard before. Uh, Some sort of elusive state that we wish for, that we we wish for the world. We, We cry out the loudest for it in the middle of war. We take it for granted in the midst of prosperity. We aim for it when 
the toddler finally falls asleep. We plan for it on a summer afternoon during a family vacation. We, we liken peace to a hammock and a glass of lemonade and a, perhaps uh, something like that. Or some would say, how about uh, a picture of a beautiful snow-covered village on a Christmas card? We have images in our mind as to what we think peace must look like. We've heard that uh, there are conceptions of peace. But there is a reality, too. What is this thing called peace on earth? You know, peace on earth will happen. It's not just a wish that people are striving for. When the Prince of Peace reigns on this earth, there will be peace. We will know it. And he will reign when he comes at his second coming. And that's something I found very interesting because real peace is always tied to the coming of Jesus Christ. After all, when you hear the angels talk to the shepherds, what was part of their statement to them? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then the scripture goes and promises when Christ does reign, there will be peace on earth. So, when Christ is present, of course peace is here. But I'm not talking about peace on earth today. I'm addressing the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Peace is the third item on this list that we see in chapter 5, verse 22. It's a characteristic that shows the dominance of the Holy Spirit inside you. Right? I'll say it again. It's the characteristic that shows the dominance of the Holy Spirit inside you. It comes from a fascinating set of words, and I'm going to start with this one because I think it would be useful. We keep saying fruit of the Spirit, don't we? The fruit as in something we know well, the crop, the harvest. We use it at time for apples or peaches. We also use it for offspring, for descendants. Scripture calls them at times the fruit of the womb. Uh, the result of labor, perhaps, the profit, the reward, the benefit, all that we label as fruit. And generally it proceeds from work, but many times it proceeds from a relationship. A relationship. The, the farmer, the soil, the seed, the crop. The husband, the wife the descendants. Here in Galatians 5, it's about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And it's about you, the believer in Jesus Christ. It's about the results of a relationship of the Holy Spirit and yourself that produces this fruit we call peace. I want to keep before you as I go through here, and I'm going to do it intentionally, the importance of this relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's vital to understanding this concept of peace because we're not looking at verse 22 and 23 like samples in spiritual life. They're, you know, I used to do this as a kid. My mom would occasionally get a box of assorted chocolates. And of course, 
there was sometimes called samplers or samplers or something like that. And so we did as children. We, we, there were certain ones we wanted and certain ones we didn't want. And the only way to tell, because they're all covered with chocolate, was to lift them out and poke your finger up in the bottom and look and see what they are. And if you didn't like it, you put it back. And in the end, my mom had a box of chocolate with holes all on the bottom of them. And so uh, we're not looking at such a list like this today. Where, uh, just pick through it and choose the few that you like. As if, uh, you know, our desire to walk by the Spirit is just some sort of a token along the way. Uh, kind of a trial run to see if you're satisfied with the product. We're, we're not doing that at all. Because it's far too easy, and I know it's true, for us to settle on just a mere satisfaction in the Christian life uh, uh, and not seek saturation in the Word of God. A.W. Tozer is a fascinating writer. I enjoy his works very much. Uh, Thought-provoking books, very challenging books, uh, one that I'm going through now, and I've gone through many, many times, is called The Pursuit of God. It, it's highly recommended by me to enjoy such a book and to be challenged by it. But he cuts very quickly uh, to the unambitious Christian's habits, who satisfies himself with, with just the form of Christianity, but as he says, misses the flame of Christianity. He writes about those in the preface of this book, those who go and set up an altar. You can picture an Old Testament scene here, where they gather the rocks and they arrange the altar and they, they set it up carefully as they build the stones up to this, this altar and then they find the wood and they, they arrange it in a certain manner on top of the altar intentionally. And then they go and they take the sacrifice and they set it upon it. And they seem satisfied with just the appearance, without any thought that the flame is missing. These are his actual words in this paragraph. Current evangelicalism has laid the altar and divided the sacrifice into parts, but now seems satisfied to count the stones, rearrange the pieces, with never a care that there's not a sign of fire upon the top of lofty Carmel. But God be thanked thanks that there are a few who care. There are those who, while they love the altar and delight in the sacrifice, are yet unable to reconcile themselves to the continued absence of fire. They desire God above all. They are a thirst to taste for themselves the piercing sweetness of the love of Christ about whom all the holy prophets did write and the psalmist did sing. There is today no lack of Bible teachers to set forth correctly the principles of the doctrines of Christ. But there are too many of these, but too many of these seem satisfied to teach the fundamentals of the faith year after year, strangely unaware that there is in their midst no manifest presence, nor anything unusual in their personal lives. They minister constantly to believers who feel within their breasts a longing which the teaching simply does not satisfy. I, I, I trust I speak in charity, but the lack of our pulpits is real. Milton's terrible sentence applies to our day as accurately as it did to his. 
The hungry sheep look up and are not fed. That's a very convicting little paragraph for me, too. As I read these words, I think, how many times is it easy just to set up the form of the altar and not even recognize the flame is missing? Are we satisfied with just mere peace? Are are we satisfied when we say, "I, I just want to be left alone? That's peace. I I want it free from anything or anyone who invades my space. You see, the Holy Spirit seeks more than just invading our space. He seeks to fundamentally change our lives, our hearts, our thinking, our character. He is taking every facet of our being and putting it in tune with the living God. That's what he seeks to do. Shall we be merely satisfied with a sample here this morning of his influence? A a little bit of peace to help us sleep better at night or make our day go better? Or can I ask that we have a craving today? A, A craving that his dominance takes over and this peace that we are learning of not only invades our hearts, but makes us what He wants us to be. In case you're wondering what that is. What does He want you to be? What does He want me to be? Scripture has told us. His job is to conform us to the image of Christ. That's what He's doing. So let me remind you of this that the issue of peace must be set in this context, which is speaking of a battleground inside of us. A battleground. This is a little quote I found in in Vine's uh, expository dictionary of words. You'd say, well, it's a dictionary of words. But right up in the right corner, I'd never seen this until I noticed it on this page. He had a quote up there. Just a nice little quote that was right in the middle of the concept of peace. And this is what it said. It was J.C. Ryle who wrote this years ago. A true Christian is one who has not only peace of conscience, but war within. You know what? That's not what I was expecting when I started to read the quote. (laughs) That last phrase especially. A true Christian is one who has not only peace of conscience, but war within. And you say, well, why? Well, The flesh has its own idea of peace, doesn't it? Do you know what the flesh's peace is all about? Satisfaction of self. It's a selfish peace. That's what the flesh wants. The spirit is working in us for service. Not selfishness, but service. You see, the Holy Spirit has done something great, and He teaches us from the Word what God has accomplished. And the one main thing we keep mentioning and even singing about here this morning is that sin is dealt with. Jesus Christ has died for that, right? And we've come to Him and we've confessed our sins, and He's forgiven us and cleansed us from all unrighteousness. You know what steps in the way of peace almost every single time? sin. And when we stop and see, he's dealt with that. 
Do you know what that leaves you with? Freedom. Freedom to serve. Freedom to serve. This is the kind of picture we've been walking through here because peace is not the absence of a war. There is a war within the believer's heart. We've got a selfish, fleshly nature that will set itself against the Spirit. It does every time. It does every time. See, peace is not the absence of war. It's the right relationship with God. Even in the midst of all that is unwelcomed in this life, peace is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's proof that He is at work in you. And it is the work He is doing in you. Now, let me explain it as I did with love and as I did with joy, keeping something in mind as we go here. The items of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so on, they are in opposition to the work of the flesh. They are in opposition to it. They're not on the same road at all. The deeds of the flesh are are the results of a fleshly walk. They're tools, as I've mentioned before, that truly drive wedges between people, and it drives wedges between us and our God. The tools of the flesh are like that. The fruit of the Spirit, if you liken it to a set of tools as well, are the very things that come as a result of a right relationship with God, and even a right relationship with others. They remove the wedges, and they work toward operating where we touch and affect one another's life as we ought to. Paul had warned our Galatians here that if they walked by the flesh, they were in danger because they were in danger of biting, devouring, and consuming one another. From verse 15. So he says, walk by the Spirit. That's the remedy. Walk by the Spirit. The result, the evidence, is the fruit. The fruit's not decoration. It's not decoration. It's the Spirit operating in you to equip you for service. Ultimately, this work is not for you. I know it sets us in a right relationship with God, but that sets us in a path for service. Ultimately, that's where peace is supposed to be at work, in the service to other people. Because the manifest does manifestation of the Spirit in you is for the good of others. The gift of the Spirit in you is for the edification of others. The things that uh, are given to you to equip you are so that you can equip others. And that's called service. So if He's instilling peace in you, guess what He wants to make you? We call them peacemakers. That's service. We're designed for service. But here's the reality as we look at this word peace, and I I say this once more. This peace is not possible unless you're walking by the Spirit. It is not possible unless you're walking by the Spirit. It's not produced by you. It's not maintained by you. It is not your peace. It's the Spirit's peace. You can't mingle even your peace in with it and somehow say, well, I've got this wonderful thing called peace. 
it's his peace. It's not a mixture of the flesh at all. It doesn't compromise with the flesh. It doesn't cooperate with the flesh. For all the things we see in our world and have for many, many years, they talk about peace plans and such like that. There's negotiations in that, right? There's compromise in that. You say, well, we'll move this way and you move this way and we'll work out some conditions for peace. The Holy Spirit never does that with your flesh. He never negotiates with the flesh. He doesn't cooperate with the flesh. This is His peace. It's His terms. It's His way. This is His peace. And it comes from a right relationship with the Holy Spirit. Let me put it another way. A couple of pictures for your mind here. Uh, For you who might enjoy a very sporty uh, red convertible. All of a sudden you got a picture in your head, right? Beautiful car. You polish it. Every other day, the other days you keep it covered so it doesn't get dust on it. It's got leather seats. It's just, as we used to enjoy, it has mag wheels. We could say, what is a mag wheel? You you missed something great in life. It has mag wheels. It's a beautiful, beautiful car. You've got the picture, right? You can have all the externals there. Everything in its place, everything as pristine, as beautiful as possible. But if there are two gears in the transmission that do not line up, do you know what the results are? A bunch of noise and a car that doesn't run right, if it runs at all. You can do that on so many different levels. But one I could picture this morning is this. We could come into a building on a Sunday morning and we could have all the beautiful songs that's ever been written, sung and played for us from the, the most talented of musicians, the most exquisite instruments. We can have all the things lined up, the beauty of the room, the, the artistic things done, the decorations, the, every single thing to set the mood. And yet, if we're not right with the Spirit, There is not peace. That's the point I'm trying to show here. We can do all the externals we want to try to manufacture peace. But if we're not walking with the Spirit, it's not peace. It's not peace. You see, we can't satisfy ourselves with only partial pieces of this and that and mixture of the flesh a little bit here and there, a little compromise here, a little cooperation there. Let's mingle this out and make it comfortable for us. That's not the peace he's talking about here. He says, walk by the Spirit. Then you're no peace. It comes from a right relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's no other way for it to come. It comes from the outcome of that kind of a relationship. And so as a result, we don't take take credit for it. We can't. We don't own it. We, We didn't make it. We're just the clay vessels that God has put His character in to work for His pleasure and glory. Ultimately, this peace is not for our benefit. Ultimately, it's not so we have a happy day. 
It's not so that we have happy attitudes. It's for service. It's so that we can love one another, as verse 13 says, and serve one another, as verse 13 says, and verse 14, love your neighbor as yourself. So, I've gone through an awful lot to impress upon you where peace is, where is it to be found, and the value and the importance, if you will, even of your walk with the Holy Spirit. So, let's take the microscope on the word itself and understand peace. The noun verb in the Greek is called irene. It's a very pretty name. It fits girls very nicely. You need a little girl's name, Anthony. How's that? Irene, the next one. All right? That's a pretty name. <laughs> Stephanie's got that look on her face. But, uh, irene. Irene. Pretty name. It means peace. But it comes from the Greek verb iro. Iro means to join. And I know I've said this to you folks before, but I have to just keep illustrating this every single time. It means to join, to put things together. They're in the right relationship. And when they're in the right relationship, they work correctly. They're the most efficient in the right relationship. They, they produce the most in the right relationship. When they're not in the right relationship, they are not efficient. When they're not in the right relationship... They cannot produce. I could use other illustrations, I suppose, but the one of a of a watch used to be, and I don't know, I haven't torn one open lately. Used to be full of all kinds of little gears in there, and they have to be in the right place. You can't just take the casing of a watch, just stuff it in a bunch of gears, and close it and think it's going to operate. They have to be put in the right place, and, and nothing perhaps is more technical as to get those tiny little things operating like they should to keep good time. But they have to be lined up correctly and working and cooperating for it to be accurate and so it be efficient in that. I told you about transmissions, too. That's true as well. You know, a transmission is one thing that gets your attention when those gears are not lined up. It's loud when the gears are not lined up. You can't help but notice such a thing. I only wish that spiritually we had such mechanisms on us. Can you imagine what that would be like? You get up in the morning, your Christian life isn't what it's supposed to be. It's not lined up with the Spirit. And this horrible sound comes out of you. Maybe you're, you're grateful it's not that way. Because what we do is we just cover up what's going on on the inside with the way we look on the outside. There's our problem. We could manufacture some artificial peace, make people think things are just fine with us, but we don't understand. We're not joined correctly. We're not in that right relationship that brings the right results. See, that's what peace is. It's not lemonade in hammocks. It's not snow on the surface. It's a right relationship between you and the Holy Spirit. It speaks of your walk. Your walk. You've seen the bumper sticker probably. Uh, one that said, Know Him, K-N-O-W, Know Him, No Peace. K-N-O-W, No Peace. Know Him, N-O Him, No Peace. I've seen those. Maybe you have too. You know Him, you know peace. You don't know Him, you don't know peace. 
Isaiah 48, verse 22 says, There is no peace for the wicked. Is God telling the truth? Absolutely. There is no peace for the wicked. How did this ever come to a place for us? You and I, if we go back and look at ourselves, uh, not just in our experience of our lives, but also in a theological lens here this morning, we would find what Scripture says that's very true of ourselves, that we, by nature, are children of wrath, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were helpless, that we were hopeless, that we were enemies with God. It's, scripture's not uh, uh, compassionate toward us in those points. It's black and white. It's reality. We were lost, sinful people. And there was no peace. There was no peace. So along comes our God. And in Romans chapter 5, verse number 1, a chapter that changed my life forever. It says in verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We've been put in a right relationship with Him. Isn't that amazing? Justification by faith. This is what only God could do. And that's what He did. He's put us in a right relationship with Him. He made that possible through His own Son, Jesus Christ who died on a cross, remember? Isaiah 53, powerful chapter on the the sacrifice of Christ. It says this in verse 5 of Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And then here comes this. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And I stopped in my tracks. I said, what's that? The chastisement of our peace. The chastening for our well-being was upon Him. It fell upon Him. Simply put, what we deserved, He took for us. Those are heavy words, folks. Wounded, bruised, chastised. And with His stripes, we are healed. See, when he's done this work for us, we come to a place, as Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 20, through him, that's speaking of Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on heaven or on earth. We, we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. You will never ever be reconciled in a right relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. That's it. The world could scoff at that all they want. But that's the reality of peace. Peace with God is through Jesus Christ. There's no one else to take us to the Father. It's only through Him. So we're reconciled to Christ through His blood. We're reconciled to the Father through that blood. And we're reconciled to one another as well. Colossians goes on to say in chapter 3, and I'll read you four verses here. 3, 12, 13, 14, and 15. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, 
put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another. It's starting to get a little uncomfortable. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Rule. Do you like that word? That's not a sample, is it? Let it rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You know, that's a new perspective. A new perspective for us. Isaiah told us about it years before when he says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. You say, well, okay. How do we do that? Philippians 4, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Just walk over there. It's just a few pages past Galatians. And I'll show you a couple of fascinating things here. Philippians 4, 8, I mean 6. Let's start in 6. He says, but be careful or anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds. It guards these things. You have trouble with your heart? Trouble with your mind? Going down avenues? You know it shouldn't be there. It troubles you. You can't sleep. You have all this frustration. It builds up. You don't know what to do with it. What's he say to do? Pray. To whom? The God of peace. And what does he do? To guard it. Now, do you trust him? There's a big question. Do you trust him? He shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good repute or report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. These things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Twice he brings it up. Where's the source of peace, folks? The Holy Spirit in you. That is God. Yes, you say, I want the God of peace with me. Look inside. Who resides within you? As a believer? Who's living in you? It is the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? He is there. If you believe in Jesus Christ, received Him as your Savior, He is there. He has indwelt you. What's He doing? He's working out His great work to help us resemble Jesus Christ. He's bringing us closer to that relationship with the Father that we ought to have. He's producing in us this thing we call the fruit of the Spirit. And it's love, and it's joy, and it's peace. And all the rest. That's his work in you. Is there evidence of his work in your life today? 
Is there? His goal is a right relationship between you and the Father. His goal is a right relationship that's best expressed in the way you walk with Him. Is it possible? Is it possible? He's made you right with the Father. He makes you right through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He's at work in you. He seeks to dominate your life. He wants every piece of you to line up with the divine will. And we know every time we assert our will over His, the gears start to grind, don't they? That's His work in you. That's His work in me. His plan is to make us useful for service. There are so many verses, and I wish I had the time this morning to go into these two. But the concept of service, how often it aligns this idea of bringing good news and announcing peace, and it even talks about people with beautiful feet. I'll let you go find them. Scripture speaks a lot about the peacemakers and what we're to pursue and build up one another. You see, peace is not something that I seek to merely be satisfied with. And I hope you don't either. It's a battlefield we're looking at here. Our need is peace. Let's not be satisfied with the form. Just the sample. Just the outward appearance. Let's seek the flame that goes here the saturation of the Spirit in your life and in my life, where every single part is spilling out that very thing that He's producing in us. Not something we manufacture, not something we place within ourselves. It's really not at the core of what we do, unless He's the one who's doing it. But that's where we need to go, right? Because if that's not at the core of all that we say and do, then... What we do has no value. We want the Spirit's work within us. I'm going to come back next week and hit the next one. And you now know the outline, don't you? You've seen it with love. You've seen it with joy. Now you've seen it with peace. This is something that brings us to a place of dependence this morning. Once again, it's dependence. Walking with the Holy Spirit. Not optional material. Something that we're all called to commit ourselves to. And as we go into prayer, you know where you are right now in that relationship with the Father. You know right now whether or not you're walking with the Spirit. You know right now whether or not that fruit, peace, is being produced in you. You know that. And you're going to talk to the one who knows it too. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, when we stand before you, we are mindful of your holiness, We're mindful of your omniscience, that you see every single thing. You know the words even before we speak them. You know when we rise up. You know when we sit down. You know every single thing about us. And yet you have called us to your throne. And we approach boldly because of Jesus Christ. And we realize that through his blood, and only through his blood, is there forgiveness of our sins. And we can stand before you forgiven. Forgiven. Because you're also a God of mercy. 
You're a God of grace. You're a God of love. You're a God who has reached to us and brought us into this relationship because you desire that relationship with us. How wonderful you are. How good. How gracious. How kind. And Lord, when we approach a passage like this and there's a command in the midst of it that we walk by the Spirit, you were not just throwing out random thoughts the day it was written on the page. But it was an appeal that still rings true to this day and this age and this church and these people and us individually. We are called to walk by the Spirit. You were serious about that. And I pray that we become serious about that too. Not merely presenting before you the outward appearance and hiding what's inside. But, Lord, may you see what is inside and may it be pulsating with the Spirit's work. May it be evident that He dominates the life that you've given to us. Our time on this earth is not that long compared to eternity. And yet we satisfy ourselves with samples rather than substance. Do your work, Lord. We need it desperately today. Since you know each and every one of us as we stand before you, you can do the divine work that's necessary to change these hearts. Where there's callous parts, strip it off. Where there's resistant places, do your great work to turn that around. Take your power, your will, and even your grace and mercy and aim it straight at our lives and make us more like Christ today, we pray. Through the great work of the Holy Spirit within us, may we be those who walk in peace. And we'll give you the glory for this, Lord, for it's not something we've done. It's what you've done. We'll give you the praise, Lord. And we'll rejoice at the fruit when you see it, too. In Jesus' name.